All right, well, can y'all make my good friend Dave Buring, Pastor Dave Buring, feel welcome as he comes up this morning? Um, I feel like I could say all kinds of introductions, but the most important thing I can say is that, that Dave Buring is a really good friend and a father in the faith for me. My dad, Dave Buring, Steve Berger, there's like three or four guys that have been really central in my life, and Dave's one of them. I'm very thankful for you. Love you. Um, longtime YWAM guy, youth with a mission, um, and then um, is currently the men's pastor at Grace Chapel, but he also runs a ministry called Lion Share that's all about discipling people. And even beyond the walls of the church, really meeting folks where they're doing life in business, in their communities. Um, Dave has a huge heart for discipleship and a lot of that got into my bones and my DNA from him. And so I'm grateful for Dave. So um, we are privileged this morning to have him come share the word. So can we pray for Dave and for ourselves this morning and then we'll let him get after it. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for all that you're already doing this morning. Lord, I pray for my friend Dave that you would fill him with your presence. God, that your words would be on his lips. Um, God, that much would be made of you. And Lord, that you would do that miracle where we just take the words that are in our heart and we obey and open our mouths and then you do something miraculous with it. Lord, you cause it to land. And so I pray for all of our ears this morning that we would have ears to hear that we would have hearts to receive that are good soil. And God, that we would hear ready to do something with what we hear. Lord, that we would put into practice what you're saying to us today. And so fill Dave, and we're just excited in advance to see what he might share with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning. Are we good? How can you not be good after that last little 45 minutes, right? So God wants us to be pursuers of his presence, and so I want to encourage you to, to do that. So this is my wife, Cheryl. She's the better half of the two of us, and uh, we have been married for almost 37 years now and are grateful for the journey that God has had us on. Like Jake said, a little bit of missions work over the years, a little bit of pastoring, a little bit of kind of international stuff, and just it's been a great journey of pursuing Jesus. And uh, this morning, I just want to encourage you how um, encouraged we are by what God's doing amongst you. Um, knowing some of your leadership team here for quite a while, you've got a really good team of people here. Their heart motives are to follow God with all their heart, to equip you to do the same. So I just want to encourage you, if, if you're uh, visiting or if you're new for the first time or kind of just checking it out, you'll find a, a good, healthy landing place. So... So I want to share something with you today that um, it's actually I'm in the middle of, of writing a book. I do that from time to time, and, and uh, it's the last chapter of this book. The book is going to be called something like Vocational Disciple Making, Connecting Your Calling with the Great Commission. Because oftentimes what we do is we, we're here at church or we're in our small group and we're pursuing God, but then when we go out to our vocations, there's no connection whatsoever. And we don't realize, hey, this is like, like Jesus is call to disciple-making is still his original plan to change the world. That, that hasn't changed. But oftentimes we don't make the connection. Well, so it's a, it's a short little book so that, you know, you get on a flight from here flying down, say, to Miami, you could read the whole thing. So it's meant to be just a good down, quick download. But the very last chapter, which I just finished doing, is, a, is really something that was an overflow of my own heart. 
And so it wasn't new concepts and things I wrestled through. It's been things I've been trying to practice in my own life. And I still feel like a first grader, so I don't come to you today as an expert, but I come to you as someone saying, I think it's important that we begin with the end in mind. And when I was 23 years old, Sean and I just recently turned 60, so you can tell it's a little while ago, but when we were 23 years old, we'd been married for four months, and we were missionaries with Youth of the Mission. And while we were there, um, we attended something called an LTS, a leadership training school. And it was for three months, and it took a a group of people, all kinds of ages, about 60 of us, and over a three-month process really developed us more in leadership. And, but not just leadership principles, but how do you lead out of the ways of God? In other words, how does God lead? How did Jesus lead? Like, what's that look like? Because it's different. It's very different than how, how our world leads. And so Cheryl and I are going through this thing. Well, there's a guy who's one of our speakers for a week, and uh, he's, it's the first time I've heard that phrase. You need to begin with the end in mind. And, you know, some, sometimes someone says something that becomes a deposit inside you that you don't realize how big it is until later. And I realized not long ago that, wow, that thing's been a reference point for a lot of things. For example, our family. When Cheryl and I were living in San Jose, California, and our our kids who are now 35 and 32 were five and two. And we were out on a date, and we went over, we'd gone out to eat, went over to a a park, and we were just kind of talking and walking. And we were sitting in the car, and I remember Cheryl and I having a conversation, and it went like this. You know, you, you don't always know how your kids are all going to turn out, no matter how, how much you invest in it, because they make their own choices too, right? But Cheryl and I made this commitment. We said, no matter what happens in our journey with our kids, let's make sure when they get older, we've tended our relationship in such a way that we have great relationship with them, beginning with the end in mind. And I got to tell you that Cheryl and I, lo- our kids live near us, So that means our three grandkids live near us, hallelujah. And so we get to spend lots of time with them. We're probably going to have dinner with them all tomorrow night. And one of the things that we've taken great joy in, because we begin with that end in mind, we've tended that relationship through the ins and outs and glory times and challenging times and all that. Begin with the end in mind. I did that as a football coach. I coached high school football for five years. And... You know, and you begin with the end in mind. Part of the end in mind was, let's just get the first down, you know. Other times it was, you know, win the game. But for me, it was also developing young men with godly character who had a whole lot of fun playing football, gained some skill sets, but they became people of character. So it's fun for me, even in our our Cool Springs Mall from time to time, I'll be walking around, and I'll hear somebody say, hey, coach! And I turn around, and that's not a 16-year-old kid anymore. It's a 34-year-old young adult, you know. But I'm still coach, and there was still an investing. And I begin with the end in mind of pouring things into them, and to see them now as, as godly young men is an awesome thing. I've done that in ministry. Begin with the end in mind. For me, the end in mind of ministry is always two things. It's fruitfulness and it's healthiness. And oftentimes we try to do one without the other, and, and it's, it's really impossible to have the kind of fruit that God wants us to have without healthiness. And so that's how I was taught. So when I think of ministry, I always look at, is there fruit being born, and is it healthy? I think you get the drift of what I'm saying. Begin with the end in mind. And so as I was writing this book and kind of bringing it all to a conclusion, I thought, okay, I want to share these three reference points for me, and I want to share them with you today that I think are things that you can daily begin with the end in mind. There are things that when you get up in the morning and you're, you know, you're brushing your teeth or shaving or putting makeup on or whatever, that you can begin to say, okay, I want to get my heart aligned to these things in light of what I'm about to do today. 
All right? So the first one has to do with advancing God's kingdom. Advancing God's kingdom. You know, th- there's a reason why God still has us here, right? He doesn't just, he just didn't have us come to know him and, and he, like he loves us so much, he probably says, you know, Amy, I just want to bring you home right now. But there's a reason why he has us here. And one of those things is advancing God's kingdom. Like we're here to do that. Like today. Like how do we advance God's kingdom today? That when you go to bed tonight, you know, okay, God, we got to team together to see your kingdom advanced. Now let me say this because oftentimes I I recognize that there can be confusion on this. So there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the church. Okay? There's a difference. So the way I like to picture it is like an umbrella. The kingdom of God is the bigger thing. It's the bigger thing. Jesus is the king of that kingdom, and when he came, the kingdom began to be advanced, and we're to carry that torch now in our generation. But the kingdom of God is the bigger thing, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But like an umbrella, underneath there's this thing that holds the bigger thing, and that's the church. The church is meant to be carriers of the kingdom. Okay? But what God's after is not the church growing and expanding as much as it is his kingdom. But guess what? When you focus on that, his church grows and expands too. So it's like, where do you have your eyes? Is your eyes on advancing the kingdom? Well, over the years for me, I I, I like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. Jesus gives us some good handles on what the kingdom is all about. And there's two verses in there I want you to see. The first one is this, and I think you'll see some of these up here, is Matthew chapter 6. Verse 10, and it says, you know this from the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, Jesus taught us to pray. It says, your kingdom come. It's like the, the kingdom represents where Jesus rules and reigns, where his presence is, where his will is being done. And that's what's happening in heaven. So when he says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, well, what's going on in heaven? We have to kind of stop and Take a look at that. Well, first of all, in heaven, God's character is on full display. It's on full display. I mean, every once in a while we get to go, wow, I see what God's faithfulness must be like. Or I see a little God's heart as a father. But it's like, in heaven, his character is like, boom, it's on full display. You see it 24-7, which isn't really in heaven. But you know what I'm saying. You see it all the time. His character is on full display. And part of the dynamic of the kingdom of God being moved here on the earth is God's character being expressed through you and me. That when people touch us, they see something of the Lord in our heart attitudes, our motives, in the things that we say and do. We also see here in Matthew uh, chapter 6, same, same section, it says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff will be added to you. This is after he's talking about food and shelter and clothing and that kind of thing. Seek first the kingdom. And so I want to ask you that question, what do you seek first? What do you seek first? Oftentimes I find it can be, well, I'm seeking first the right job, because if I have the right job, then i got the right amount of money, then I can get the right house so that I can provide for my family. Wrong motive? No, not at all. But Jesus said... If you seek first my kingdom, I'll make sure you have everything you need. Seeking first his kingdom. As we begin this year, Cheryl and I were having this conversation. We do something called the Selah Retreat. It's for artists. You know, we live in the Nashville area, so it's, you know, loaded with the creative community. 
And so we spend some time away. Selah is this little word that you see in Psalms. It just kind of means pause, reflect. And we began the retreat that way of challenging artists. Are you seeking first the kingdom? Are you seeking first your own fame? Are you seeking first your own success? Are you seeking first that you have more you know, downloads of your songs than anybody else? Now, is there anything wrong with those things? No, I'm not saying that. But when you look at the Greek for seek first, it means, get ready for this, seek first. It means seek first. Like, like in, in the morning when you get up, it's like, God, how do you want me to partner with you to advance your kingdom today? On the job, with my family. And that might be that day through prayer. It might be you getting up in the morning and your little prayer list that you go over faithfully, you just advance the kingdom that way in people's lives. It might be the way you treated the person in Walmart. It might be that employee that you have that you came alongside because they were having a, a rough go of it. How are you advancing God's kingdom where his character is being more revealed and his will is being more done? So that's the first one I just want you to think about. All right, let me give you a second one. This one's a fun one for me. And as followers of Jesus, I don't know that if we forget this or if we just haven't been taught it. But I want to call it this, bettering and blessing the lives of other people. Bettering and blessing the lives of other people. So when you get up in the morning and you start kind of looking at beginning with the end in mind, first it's seeking first the kingdom, advancing it. But there's this other piece of bettering and blessing the lives of the people around you. I love this verse. Check this out in Acts chapter 10, verse 31. It's talking about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So it says he went about doing good and he healed the sick and helped those that were in stuck places. It's something that is important for us to reference. I loved it when Jake was telling me yesterday about just this property that you're on right here right now and how you had a need, but the school also had a need for some extension here of the sidewalk. And so your church bettered and blessed this school by putting that in. That's what I mean. You take that extra step. Now, you guys know this. We don't do good works to gain God's favor. You already have it. You already have. We don't do good works to get saved. All right? But once Jesus has done a work in us, he asks us to partner with him. And as we, as we better and bless the, the lives of people around us, they have an opportunity to experience God. Look at, look at this verse here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God wants to reveal himself through the works of your hands. I could tell, tell you story after story after story of people whose lives were transformed because of a simple act of kindness, because of going the extra mile on behalf of somebody else. When I say bettering the lives of people, I want you to think of this, improving their lives. Improving their lives. Like if it's somebody who just does not have food. They don't have a well in Africa where they can get fresh water. You're going to better their lives. Do you realize God is all over that? 
When I talk about blessing someone's life, I mean allowing them to experience the grace of God, which is God's undeserved favor. Whereas it's just people are so blown away that they were treated with undeserved favor. Bettering and blessing the lives of people. Do you go out of your way to do that? I want you to think about that. Look at here in Luke chapter 4 with me. This is Jesus. He was in a synagogue on a Sabbath in, in Nazareth. And he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here we see again the power of God. Proclaiming good news to the poor, liberty to captive, sight to blind, liberty to the oppressed, and proclaiming the, the year of the Lord's favor. I want you to imagine if you're on the receiving end of being stuck inside, blind and cancer, whatever the case may be, imagine the transformation inside of you, the relief, the freedom, the joy, maybe for the first time in your life, having hope. These things, the poverty, the blindness, the captivity, all the oppression, all washed away by somebody who comes to help people. See, that's what Jesus is all about. And, I, and, and don't only think here of the person. Think of the friends and the family who've been around tending those people in need. How all of a sudden their lives are completely changed as well. You see, the ramifications of advancing the kingdom in this way are huge. Now, let me just give you a couple illustrations here in the Gospels of how... You know, we, we see those power things, the captive set free, the pressed, all that stuff. But I also want to show you how Jesus himself was very practical with this. Do you remember the stories of the feeding of the four and the 5,000 people? They're out there, and, and, and really when you look at that, that's probably four to 5,000 men. Didn't include women and children. All right? So here you have this massive amount of people who've gone off somewhere into the wilderness or the desert because that's where Jesus was speaking. And then all of a sudden the disciples kind of go, you know, as they hear their own tummies rumbling, hey, it's, it's like lunchtime. Like, how are we going to eat? I want you to think about those miracles of feeding the four and 5,000 had nothing to do with God trying to demonstrate it was meeting the needs of hungry people. That's all that was. Jesus bettering and blessing the lives of others. Meeting the needs of those who are hungry. How about this one? I love this one, his first miracle. Remember this one? Cana of Galilee. It's a wedding. And whether it was because the rumbling of the servants going, oh my gosh, we've screwed up, we didn't order enough wine, or whether it was the nearly embarrassed, newly wed couple going, oh my gosh, we're going to run out. We don't really know. But Jesus quietly, he didn't stand up in front of everybody and say, come here, let me show you something. Quietly, wherever the servants were hanging out, he saw them freaking out. And his mom goes, hey, uh, what about that? And Jesus takes care of it. And they, isn't it interesting? They said, man, the second doses of wine is way better than the first. Had a little extra special something-something on it, I guess, all right? But, but I want you to see and understand. It's like it, it wasn't a big ta-da, and that was Jesus' very first miracle. He was bettering and blessing the lives of people. Are you guys tracking with me? How about this one? I love this one. John chapter 21. It's right after, you know, Peter has failed, you know, denying the Lord and all this stuff. And, and he's out fishing. And, and it's Peter, Thomas, 
Nathaniel, James, and John, and then it says two other disciples. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, including Peter, eight of them. And they're out fishing. They're probably wrestling it through. You know how sometimes when you're wrestling through something, you step back into something that's a little bit comfortable and familiar, and it kind of, oh, and then it lets you resort. And imagine, they're out fishing. And Jesus is there on the shore, and he yells, hey, what would you guys catch? And they go, nothing. It was like, just shut that guy up. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And, and Jesus said, hey, just throw it on the other side. And they're all going, whatever. You know, could you imagine? And they throw it on the other side, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like the fish are jumping into it, and, and you know what happens. It's awesome. I, I want to watch this DVR when I get to heaven. Because Peter's going, and now he knows. And he says, it's the Lord. And it says he tears off his outer garment and goes jumping in the water, swimming to him. And it says that catch 153 fish. They have to haul to get other boats, you know, get other boats to help them haul the thing in. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. How many levels Jesus was bettering and blessing? The life of Peter. Peter having fresh revelation again of the Son of God. It was God's way of saying, I know who you are. Come here. Calling him afresh. It was right after that. It's interesting. I don't know if you've ever made this connection, but when Jesus, three times he says to Peter, do you love me? And it's like he just made up for each one of those three expressions of, I don't know you. Then he says, you know, to this guy who's broken, go feed my sheep. I like what Dean Sherman says when Dean says, you know, okay, so you screwed up. I forgive you. Get back now into the ministry, you know? And he just puts him right back into ministry, you know? But I also want you to think about this. I wonder because of the worrying of the disciples and all that was going on, even the provision for some of those that maybe had families. Do you realize what a catch of 153 meant provisionally, economically? The relief? <sighs> See, Jesus on every level bettering and blessing their lives. Let me give you one more just for fun. So as Jesus is passing through a little town called Jericho, there's a little short tax man. Do you remember his name? Zacchaeus. This little short tax man. And we don't know how Jesus knew him. You know, we think we can, you know, naturally default to, well, he's God for Pete's sake. He knows everybody's name. But he was also fully God and fully man. And I imagine in my kind of imagination that, you know, there was another guy that was on Jesus's team that was a former tax collector. Do you remember who that was? Matthew. So I, here's what I imagine. As they go walking into Jericho, you know, they're just walking, Jesus and the guys and the crowd's beginning to gather, and Matthew comes running up. He says, hey, Lord, there's this dude that I met at a tax conference who lives here. He's kind of got the Napoleon syndrome. And Napoleon hadn't been around, I know, but work with me, all right? He's kind of short and he thinks he's important, and he does the tax thing, and Jesus says, what's his name? His name's Zacchaeus. He says, well, if we see him, would you show him to me? And so just as Jesus is going about the crowds, imagine all of a sudden Matthew doing this the whole time, and, and he's going like this, and he, he just stretches out. <coughs> Jesus, Jesus, what's his name? Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus. And I want you to think of, I mean, we know what happens when he goes to Zacchaeus' home. Zacchaeus gets convicted of all the stealing as a tax collector, and he says, I'm going to restore that fourfold to everybody. So we know the fruit of that. But have you ever considered the public fruit that happened? That the reality is, is everybody's probably... That, like, why is he identifying with that guy? 
And yet Jesus set Zacchaeus apart, bettering and blessing his life emotionally, his stature in the community, which was probably very negative. But because Jesus, it's the one person he calls out and says, I need to go to your house today. The stature of that little short man, all of a sudden his community grew very tall. Guys, I I just want you to understand that part of our advancing God's kingdom in life has to do with purposely bettering and blessing the lives of other people. And I, and I want to ask you that question, just as I said about advancing the kingdom. Do you, do you reference that at all? Like whether you're going to school for the day, or, or whether you're off to work, or, you, or you're a stay-at-home mom or dad. Do you reference, okay, how am I going to advance the, king, the kingdom? If you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, and you have your kids every day, and I know it can be like the circus, you know, trying to... But, but the reality is, do you realize I'm investing and advancing the kingdom today in the life of my child, stabilizing love in their hearts, showing them skill sets that they can use, teaching them how to relate well, how to walk under authority, how to have joy, all that stuff. You're building the kingdom of God in their life. That's not a small deal. That's not a small deal. When you talk to Susanna Wesley, If you're familiar with the Methodist church, the Wesley brothers, one became very well known for songs he writes, hymns that we still sing today, and the other was an incredible preacher. And her whole calling in life was to be a mom. She didn't want to do anything else. She wanted to be a mom. She felt called by God to be a mom. And because she invested so deeply, two of her boys made a tremendous impact on history. So don't ever sell just being a mom. Sometimes when I'm with junior hires and I say, how many of you guys just want to be moms? And they go, because they all know it's about a career. And they'll start complaining. And I'll, so I'll purposely use that and go, time out. Let me just tell you what a mom can do. Okay? And we need to rec- uh, recognize that. So bettering and blessing the lives of those around. Let me give you the third one. Glorifying God. Glorifying God. Sometimes that phrase is too, it's like too mysterious. Like, what does that mean? So I want to just help us with that today. There's kind of a, a weighty piece of it to it that I want to show you, but there's a practical piece to it as well. So let me, let's start with the weighty piece. Look at this here in uh, this scripture uh, that we see in, in Jesus's life. I, I love this one. It's one of my favorite verses, John 17, 4. Jesus is, is in the high priestly prayer, as we kind of call it, John 17. And one of the things I want you to understand is glorifying God, if there's a heartbeat of the kingdom, like we were talking yesterday about how Schofield was the heartbeat, you know, of the UT basketball team. If there's a heartbeat of the kingdom, it's glorify God. Glorify God. Glorify. That's, that's the heartbeat of the kingdom. And I love this verse in John 17, 4, where Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's one of the ways that we can glorify God is being faithful with whatever it is he gives us to do. With our families. With our relationships. With our vocation. Don't, please don't get caught in that thing that ministry is here, all the other vocations are kind of here. That, the the secular, sacred, sacred secular thing, we just need to go and blow up. Okay? It's not that way. If God has called you to be a businessman or woman, if God has called you to leave government, if God's called you to be an artist, if God's called you to be a scientist, that's just as spiritual as Jake being a pastor. And we have to get that. In God's mind, there is no secular sacred. There's light and there's darkness. And can I just say, it's both in the world and the church. And we have to understand that. Glorifying God. So I want you just to catch the weight of this first, okay? 
In the time of Jesus, let me just read this to you, people's reputations and the authority they carried were directly connected to their name. Directly connected to it. Their character, their actions, their words, their people skills, their business dealings, and other attributes either significantly enhanced or damaged their name and reputation. They were linked. Okay? And it's something that we have to understand. A person's name and reputation were inseparable. So when we're dealing with things in the Old Testament, when we're dealing with things in the time of Jesus, when he's talking about glorifying God, the word glorify is rooted in the understanding of reputation. God's reputation is important to him. It's very important to him. The scriptures teach us that and how his name is to be handled. Look at this verse here in Exodus 27. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Unfortunately, we reduce this to taking the Lord's name in vain in swearing. Is that a part of it? Well, yeah, but, but we're missing the point. All right? There is, eternal, there is eternally more meaning to it than that. In Hebrew, the word means... Emptiness, vanity, falsehood. In other words, when we live in a way that distorts God's character, making it empty or false, we are giving God a bad name. Wow. Look at this one, Leviticus chapter 19, 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. In Hebrew, this means to defile, pollute, desecrate, to make common, to violate the honor of. The people of God need to be careful not to profane, pollute, or make common God's name and reputation because it hinders others from desiring to follow him. I don't know about you, but like I could just get on my knees right now and say, hey, could, would you join me and let's just repent as people of God because there are many people that don't want to follow God because of his followers. It's glorifying God. It's an important piece. It's an important piece to our lives. Jesus understood the ramifications of keeping God's name and reputation always on his radar. He realized that misappropriating God's name could be catastrophic. When people of different ethnicities or faiths have been killed over the centuries in the name of Jesus, God's reputation is wounded and his name profaned. Do you understand much of the Muslim attack in the world on Christians still has to do with Christians handling Muslim people centuries ago very poorly. We are reaping something that we began and we sowed. And the sooner we can own that in repentance, God can begin to make transformation of that. When followers of Jesus say one thing, but they live the exact opposite, it wounds the reputation of God, hindering the momentum of his kingdom. When trusted godly leaders betray the name they carry through how they live and lead, the fallout often results in irreparable damage. You've seen it, and I've seen it firsthand. This is kind of the heavy side of this, but, but I would not be communicating it truthfully if I didn't at least share this part with you. We have to say, God, help us. And can I encourage you, if, if inside you're going, oh boy, man, I am totally there in my own life, you know, the good news is God's given us this thing called repentance. And just go to him and say, God, I own that. Don't, don't run away because it'll chase you because it's a truth. 
So say, God, I repent for that. And the way I said that, the way I related to that person, I just treated them like crap. And, the, and yet they know I'm a follower of Jesus. It's like, you guys, you have to realize God wants to, like, we're the people that he wants to display his glory through. And if all of a sudden we put the cap on the lid of that thing, or we distort it, 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 it hinders his advancement of his kingdom on the earth, in Knoxville, in your home. It's huge. But, but let, me, let me finish by saying this. So how can you and I elevate God's name and reputation through our lives and how we live? I want to submit two things. So when I was a kid, growing up in the Lutheran church, I had to go through catechism class when I was about 12 or 13. Anybody else ever do that? Catechism class, all right. Well, there's this little phrase that got stuck in me as a 12, 13-year-old. The chief end of man is to glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so this gets stuck into me as a kid. So there's a, a pastor by the name of Leith Anderson, and I love his practical way of helping me understand what does it mean to glorify God. So let me give you two pieces of this. Here's the first one. Glorifying God is enhancing the reputation of God in the eyes of another. Let me say that again. Glorifying God is enhancing the reputation of God in the eyes of another. Now, we can't enhance God. I know that. You know that. But what I'm saying is because his reputation is often taken a hit because of us not glorifying God, it's an amazing thing the way that you treat somebody. Just that. You're not even talking about Jesus. Though just the way you treat them as an employee, as a neighbor, the way you treat them can cause somebody to go, as we like to say here in the South, I want to get me some of that. It causes the person to go, whatever they got, I want that. I want to ask you a question. In the way you relate to people, in the way that you lead your company, the way that you serve your company, the way that you interact with your neighbors, have you enhanced God's reputation in their heart and mind? Or they, would they rather have nothing to do with you again? That's what it means. Enhancing the reputation of God in the eyes of others. And let me give you the second part of that little chief end of man thing. And by the way, look at 1 Corinthians 10 here. So whether you eat or drink, in other words, just the common functions of the day, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God, I want to glorify your name today. And then the second is this piece, enjoy him forever. I've had the privilege over the last about year and a half, there's a whole thing I do on enjoying God. I have come to find that the people of God tend to love God worship God and serve him, but we've forgotten to know how to enjoy him. We've forgotten to, to know how to enjoy him. Cheryl helped me with this one day. She, she, it was right in the midst of thinking about all this. I was, I was recording a, I did a 366-day video devotional. They're two minutes long on the character of God, and over a span of 365 days, you reflect on 101 attributes of God's character from Scripture. So you can renew your thinking of what God's really like because that's often a stumbling block for us. We don't see what he's like. But when you see who he really is, you can't help but fall in love with him. You can't help but follow him with all your heart. And we were together with our grandson, Baron. And as a papa, I love being a papa. It's one of my very favorite roles in life. And, you know, he grew up, he's grown up with a papa that does the Donald Duck. You know? And, and so, you know, so I, I play with him and have fun with him. And one day Cheryl said this to me. She says, do you know how much he enjoys you? 
And it hit me because the Lord said, do you enjoy me that much? And I begin to realize that sometimes we forget to just enjoy God. And, and it would make, I mean, you guys, it would make me physically sick if Baron turned 20 years old and he never had relationship or enjoyed me and me enjoyed him. It would make me physically ill. I want you to think about that for a minute. I wonder how God feels when we serve him, we love him, we even worship him, but we don't enjoy him. This morning, I'm hoping, while worship was going on, that you just enjoyed him. He wants you just to enjoy being present with him. So I've begun to think about what are some of the, the pieces of this. And let me, let me buzz three scripture verses past you, because oftentimes uh, we don't see these tied to enjoying God. But when you look at the language, it, it's is what it means. So look at Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That, it literally means take exquisite delight in. And so we often like the second part, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires, right? But it literally means enjoy him. And as you do that, what happens is your heart and his heart become intertwined and your desires become similar. Psalm 43, 4, then I will go to the altar of God to my exceeding joy. This, this word joy means um, delighting in with glee and pleasure. And then how about this one? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we can view that as God's joy. He gives that to me as strength. But it also means enjoying God causes me to have strength. So let me, as I close, give you three things, practical ways to enjoy God. First, get to know God's character. Honey, can you hand me my Bible? So one of the things that I've done in my Bible over the years, and I know it'll be a little difficult to see, but I'll just show you, is I've highlighted every name, title, and attribute of God's character in purple. So that when I read my Bible, his character screams at me. And one of the things that we have to understand is we often don't know God's character. I, I think God feels misrepresented. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not that way. So don't just read your Bible anymore. To, okay, I read Matthew 5, check. Read your Bible, and every time you read it, say, what did I learn here about God's character, who he really is? Because the image of God that you carry around inside of you, it affects how you live your life every day. So one of the ways God wants you to enjoy him is to see what he's really like, not what the devil has tried to paint as an image, not what your traumatic circumstances have led you to believe. Let God speak for himself from his word. Find out his character. A second way you can begin to enjoy God is through creation. Take a, take a look around. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but when our daughter Malia was having a little boy about a year and a half ago, so what, year and three quarters of a year ago, she would have us come over to look at her nursery. Cheryl had been over there a number of times. I hadn't seen it, so you need to come see the nursery. Because, you know, it's fought through colors, themes, all kinds of things, bed. You know, I, I was impressed. It was the first time I'd ever run into it where the, you know, the little um, bun wiper was actually warm before. <laughs> I was like, wow, why didn't I get this? When, you know? So do they have those for adults? No, I'm just kidding. So, but, but it's like you just go, wow, where do they come up? But, but here's what it is. There's fussing, fussing going on over the preparation of a child. Do you understand that part of God's fussing over you and me, our nursery is his creation? And he has said, I have taken the time to create something for you, whether it's the dramatic thunderstorm or it's the rainbow or it's the mountains over here that we see or it's the pouring rain or it's the birds, or it's that particular animal, 
or it's whatever it is, I want to encourage you. One of the ways you can enjoy God is going, oh, you made this. You took the time to put your own hand in to craft that little cove so I would enjoy it. And you guys, we can be so busy going through life that we forget to acknowledge the source of that nursery expression for you and me. And a last thought. When we think about this whole area of enjoying God, one of the things that we have to come back to is paying attention to the working of God in other people's lives and your own. Guys, can I just encourage you, never use the word coincidence again. Wasn't that just a coincidence? No, it was your heavenly Father orchestrating the fact that forever you wanted to have a blue Honda. And why? It was so amazing. I just went to the... Th- and, and the guy had just turned it in. They didn't even put the sticker on it. And he sold it. And we're just going, isn't that just a coincidence? No. Your heavenly Father knew you always wanted that, and he set it up there for you. Guys, we've got to start connecting the dots. Otherwise, we rob ourselves of enjoying God. But when you connect those dots and realize, like, like you guys, if we took the time and did this, we'd all go, oh, yeah. Like the job, like it was the job I always dreamed of. And how was it just, oh, how would that person who was supposed to have it say no? And now it's, it's there for me. Isn't that a coincidence? Are you guys tracking with me? We got to drop that and start connecting it so you can say, I know what you're doing. And start enjoying his presence. Would you just stand with me? Lord, we thank you that there is an end that we can have in mind each day of our lives and as as individuals, as a family, and as a flock. That, Lord, we can advance your kingdom in the earth, co-mission and labor with you. That, Lord, you give us the opportunity every day to better and bless the lives of people in the name of Jesus. And, God, there's a, a part here of glorifying your name that through the way that we live, the way that we lead, the way we serve, the way we relate to people, that it enhances the reputation of God, that people say, whatever you got, buddy, I want that. And so, Lord, as a precious flock here of Grace Chapel, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you take this word and would you begin to sow it in to the hearts of the flock? That, God, there would be a, a, a desire to see your kingdom advanced. That when we're with people, there would be this giddiness of how could we bless them? How can we benefit their lives, better their lives today? In Jesus' name. And Lord, would you give us that sense of both the joy of the enhancing your reputation, enjoying you, but also the sense of the fear of the Lord when it comes to glorifying your name. And Lord, if we're called by the name of Jesus, we're called Christian, we're called sons and daughters of the Most High God, we're called the church. Lord, let us in the way that we live relate, work, glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys, Jake.